All right, so sometimes, I don't know about you, but I just want to get away from all the hype and the hysteria around artificial intelligence. Tell kind of an old school tech story. So that's what I figured we would do this week. I'm game for that, Michael. We haven't done that in a very long time. So today, whose story are we going to be telling? Yeah, so we're going to tell the story of Adam Nash, the current CEO and co-founder of Daffy, a groundbreaking fintech platform dedicated to revolutionizing charitable giving. But his impact actually stretches far beyond this current venture. Yeah, absolutely. Adam is a serial angel investor, advisor, and board member at over 100 companies, including household names like Acorns, Gusto, Figma, Open Door. And his mission is clear. He wants to make financial tools more accessible to the public through tech-enabled products. And it's not just about making money. Adam's passion lies in democratizing access to technology and its communities. His journey in philanthropy began in 2011, and he joined the Oshman family, JCC, a nonprofit organization. And most recently, he's been making waves as the co-chairman of Icon, an incredible nonprofit working to create a vibrant community in Silicon Valley, all dedicated to Israeli technology and innovation. Yeah, it, it's really inspiring. Adam's commitment to bridging the gap between Israeli entrepreneurs, startups, and the supportive community around them is something I think we can all learn from. Now, let's take a step back and look at Adam's impressive professional background. Currently serving as an adjunct professor at Stanford University, he brings his vast knowledge and experience to the next generation of inspiring entrepreneurs. Yeah, and before that, Adam held key leadership positions at some of the most influential tech companies. He was VP of product and growth at Dropbox from 2018 to February 2020, and he played a pivotal role in shaping the company's direction. He was also the president and CEO of Wellfront from 2014 to 2016. His vision and strategy and relentless drive, it actually propelled the company forward during his tenure. Yeah, and before all that, Adam had a pretty impressive track record, including being an executive in residence at Greylock Partners. Um, he was VP of product at LinkedIn, director at eBay, and we don't overlook his strategic and technical contributions at places like Atlas Ventures, Preview Systems, even Apple. Right. So Adam Nash's journey, it's been an incredible testament to the power of innovation leadership and a genuine passion for making a difference. So we're honored to have him on the show today. Yeah, that's right, Michael. So grab your headphones, sit back and join us as we dive into the mind of this tech visionary, Adam Nash. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. But first, a quick word from our sponsors who make this show possible. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. 
This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So Adam's journey started right in the heart of tech innovation. He was born and raised in Silicon Valley. He was immersed in a culture of innovation from an early age. Yeah, his passion for communication and public speaking began to take shape during his high school years. Adam excelled in speech and debate, even ranking among the top speakers in California for impromptu speaking. That early experience laid the foundation for his remarkable ability to articulate complex ideas. It's fascinating how those early experiences shaped the trajectory of one's life. Because after high school, Adam had an incredible opportunity to intern at NASA, the research center. This is in 1990. And there he worked on fluid dynamic simulations and software, gaining hands-on experience in the world of technology and research. Adam Nash went on to pursue his education at Stanford, where he obtained a bachelor's and a master's degree in computer science, but his focus went beyond the technical aspects of computing. That's right, Mike. Adam's passion for human-computer interaction led him to specialize in that field during his studies. He understood that technology is not just about machines and code, it's about how we as humans interact and benefit from it. And that's what sets him apart. Adam's unique perspective on the intersection of technology and human experience has been instrumental in his entire career. So let's go back to those early days and hear from Adam himself. My story is not that unusual in Silicon Valley. Probably the most unusual piece of it is that I grew up here. Although first first engineer in the family, right? my, my parents are both doctors live in the area, etc. But came out of school, you know, having gotten degrees in computer science, I focused on human computer interaction, all about how humans perceive technology. And my first job I thought was gonna be at a company called Next, which uh, Steve Jobs had founded. 
out of Apple. And then of course, during my interview cycle, it was paused and Apple acquired Next. So I ended up working at Apple on a, a project called Web Objects, which was part of the larger Rhapsody project, which became Mac OS X and iOS and all the things that we use today. But the big company life wasn't really for me at the time. I jumped to a startup that was focused on kind of electronic software distribution in the 90s. The company went public in 99, because you know, as you know, all companies went public in 1999. Went to business school, uh, spent some time in venture capital, learned a lot about what happens in the boardroom and how investors think about businesses. But my heart was really in operating. Uh, I ended up jumping to eBay, which is one of the few companies post bubble burst that was rapidly growing at the time. That was my first introduction of product and spent a lot of time at eBay building on features, thinking about how to strategically build features at a scaling internet company. In 2007, Adam Nash joined LinkedIn as the vice president of product management. Talk about stepping into the big leagues. At LinkedIn, he played a pivotal role in shaping the core product and user experience. Met a guy um, through a great acquaintance, met a guy named Reed Hoffman um, in 2007. Spent a lot of time talking about the future of the web. Ended up jumping to LinkedIn. Um, was the head of core product there through the IPO in 2011. Yeah, he went on to lead LinkedIn's platform and mobile products, including the development of their open developer platform and their native applications and mobile web experiences. His passion for fostering innovation within the company led him to found a program that has become synonymous with LinkedIn's culture of innovation, and that's the LinkedIn Hack Days. Ah, the LinkedIn Hack Days. <laughs> that's a testament to Adam's leadership. Uh, it's a seminal program that's aimed at driving the innovation culture within the company and it's become an integral part of LinkedIn's identity. Did another stint in venture capital, um, discovered a new area that I was very passionate about that we now call fintech. Met a founder named Andy Ratcliffe, uh, joined Wealthfront, became their CEO for four years, ran that and grew that through 2016. Took another stint off uh, in venture capital for a brief bit. Uh, spent a little bit of time with Dropbox, helping them scale post-IPO. Um, and then in 2020, I decided to jump ship and, and think about starting my own company. And that's really when Daffy started. And then he founded Daffy. When I was in EIR at, at Greylock Partners, I had this list of ideas for startups, like every founder does, I think. My list was 82 long, as it turns out. Most of them were not good ideas, by the way. You're happy to look. But I had this list of great financial products, products I thought added real value that hadn't been reinvented yet. And one of those was the donor advised fund, this like little known account where you can put money aside for charity, you get the tax deduction, and you have time to invest the money and figure out where you wanna make the most impact, you know, donate your time and, and effort. And so I, I knew it was a great product, but it was a very niche product. It was only sold to the wealthy. Mostly only rich people knew about it from their advisors or accountants. And so it had been circling in my head for years. And then, you know, over the summer of 2020, it really kind of dawned on me, my co-founder Alejandro, that, you know, 60 to 70 million households in the U.S. give, right? Instead of thinking about a financial account, why can't we take all that great technology that's been used in the last 10 years to help people shop and save and invest and instead use it to help people give, right? And so this kind of basic idea, I'd been on the board of Acorns for about six years, this idea of, you know, hey, why can't we build an Acorns for charity? Why can't we make it super easy for people to put a few dollars aside every week or every month or every year in an account that was invested? And then they could give to charity at any moment from their phone with just a few taps. And, and so that's really how Daffy was born. Daffy, by the way, stands for the uh, Donor Advised Fund for You. 
there, there are liabilities of having an engineer, you know, do product naming, you know, so it's kind of right up the middle, but, uh, but no, so we started right away. We raised money at the end of 2020, right in the midst of the pandemic, you know, as my first experience building a remote first company, built the team and got all the regulatory approvals, built all the technology, opened up all the accounts. And um, we were open as the first fully functional donor advice fund in the app store um, at the end of September, 2021. So off to the races. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Before the break, we explored the many accomplishments of Adam Nash and what led to his founding of Daffy. Now we're going to pick his brain on some early stage startup advice, starting with how do you build initial trust with customers, especially around financial products? Yeah, so I think that that's a that's always a hard problem, um, especially in fintech. You know, you know, money is about trust, right? And so whenever you have a new startup in the space, a new way for people to do something with their money, I think you have to have a lot of humility over the process of people becoming aware of of who you are and what you do, and can they trust you with dollars? And and this is for charity, right? Trust is an even bigger deal, and so. As someone who comes with a kind of deep well of product experience, it's probably my bias probably shows, but I, I believe you have to start with a product that's high quality enough that when people use it, they're actually willing to take that leap of faith and, and, and trust you with an important financial goal. And so when we launched Daffy, a lot of our initial effort was not on how to acquire the first million users or anything like that. It was very much focused on, hey, can we do a good job with what people are hiring us for, to borrow the Clay Christensen language, right? The, the job to be done. And so we spent most of the first year, 2022 for us was all about just making sure that for the people who found us, who were generous people who usually gave to charity already, you know, could we help them and actually do the job of helping them be more generous and give more money to charity and put more money aside for those less fortunate than themselves. And so like, I, you know, every business we looked carefully, we looked at where we got traffic from, we looked at who liked our product, who loved our product, who told their friends about our product. 
But what we discovered is that there's really two groups of people who love Daffy. And so that's really what we market to right now. Let's dig in more to these two different use cases. The most common use case of our members, and we now have thousands and thousands of members, the first use case for our members is actually very simple, which is a lot of people give a few hundred dollars to charity every year, and they give to mostly the same charities, right? They give to schools, maybe they went to a university, maybe their kids' schools, uh, they give to maybe their church or synagogue, a religious institution, maybe a local cause that they support, and they give about the same money every year. And for them, Daffy is just a better system for giving, right? You set a goal for giving, um, you put money aside, and, and then you set up recurring donations to the charities you care about. And so that's definitely a big use case for us. Um, but we see a second group of people. Um, there's a lot of Americans where, you know, the truth is income is variable, right? You have good years and you have not so good years. And what we see is people who really like to take advantage of this idea that in good years, when your taxes are higher, you put extra money aside for charity, right? And sometimes you donate money, cash. We take all forms of cash, cards. You can even use Apple Pay. Some people donate stock or ETFs. Um, and we've seen a lot of people donate crypto. We support basically every crypto that, that Coinbase supports. And so they like to put money aside in the good years so they have it in the not so good years to support the organizations they care about, right? You know, the, the money you give to your church is not really money you want to vary with your bonus so much. And, and so um, we see that group of people as well, people putting aside two, three, four years worth of their charitable giving. And they love having a tax-free investment account where that money can be invested, it can grow over time. And then anytime they want to donate to charity, they have that app in their pocket that they can reach for. So we see both of those use cases right now. So understanding those core use cases, let's explore the concept of product market fit. You brought up the magic words. I think it's become part of the lexicon, this, this issue of product market fit. That rare combination when all of a sudden you have a product solution and you found that really solves problems for people, a much better solution. And then you found distribution channels where people actively discover that solution. And so those numbers start compounding and going up to the right that every, uh, every VC wants to see. Um, to me, that actually is really the, the main point where your posture as a founder and your operating cadence as a, as a product team has to change. Right. And so it's really not about series A or series B. It really is about that product market fit, that feeling like you've you have a distribution channel that's working. You have a product that working that's working and you lean into it pre product market fit. There's a lot of judgment in product. There's a lot of understanding your customer, not just user research of understanding why they do what they do or how they do what they do, but customer development, right? Almost that old fashioned sales approach of really understanding um, the co-founder of Wealthfront used to call this what makes them reach for their wallet, right? Like what makes them lean in and say, wait, you can do that. And so I think in the early days, pre-product market fit, you have to know who you're designing for. You have to know how you're creating value. And you have to have some idea of what your go-to-market strategy is going to be, what your distribution channels are going to be. Because the age of just building a product and then selling that product, that, that, that game is too easy. That happened decades ago. Right now, your product basically has to be designed from the get-go to make the entire user experience convert into something that's solving a problem for the user. And that includes how they find the product in the first place. If you, if you grow by referral, you have to design referral into the product, right? You have to make it part of what makes the product better. LinkedIn wasn't viral just because it emailed a lot of people. Although in fairness, we, we did email a lot of people, right? Like, you know, 
We were talking about email campaigns in the billions, right? But that actually isn't the reason alone that LinkedIn grew. The, the real reason that LinkedIn grew is that fundamentally the core promise of the product was not just having your reputation online, but also your relationships. The product got better for you the more of your network you brought onto the platform, right? And that wasn't just just a strategy for the company to acquire users. That was actually creating value for the user. And so I think that whatever your distribution channel is, you have to design the product for that. Post-product market fit, founders make totally different mistakes. There's always new mistakes for founders to make. It's always, always, it's always very exciting. But the fact is, after product market fit, what you have to do as a founder is all of a sudden you have to develop some humility, some distance between your intentions and reality. You had this idea for a product. You had this theory that there was this great product, that there was a company to be built in this area and who your customer was. But once you actually start acquiring customers, start coming in, right, that product market fit kicks in up into the right, I think you have to start looking heavily at data. Who's actually using your product? Who actually loves your product? What are they doing with it? What problem are they actually solving? It may be related, and it usually is, to the problem you set out to solve. But I mean, this is like the old joke, right? Like you were 50% right, you just didn't know which 50%. And so data is the answer. We didn't have that early in my career. This fact right now that we know how to talk about data, we know how to talk about different you know, traffic sources, conversion rates, we know how to look at the customers in different ways, cohorts, churn rates, all these different things, I think are ways of building an actual scalable company. Because after product market fit, you're raising money, you're not just making a commitment to keep building a product. You're making a commitment to build this, this economic entity. You're, you're making this commitment to build a company, a functioning organization, the, uh, as they say, the machine that builds the machine. And if you try to build an organization that's just based on your own personal judgment, well, there's limits to how that scales. And also there's limits to any person. You are not taking full advantage of the opportunity. And, and unfortunately for you, it's, it's a competitive market. You know, if you don't look at the data and where this market, where this product is really landing, guess what your competitors will, and they will take advantage of it. And so I, I think your posture as a founder has to change significantly pre-product market fit versus post-product market fit. Okay, there's a lot there. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more from Adam Nash. Okay, we're back and now we're talking about product market fit with Adam Nash, the CEO of Daffy. And to flip the conversation from product market fit to the other side of the startup journey with an acquisition, we asked him about the recent Figma acquisition by Adobe, which is one of the largest design tool acquisitions ever. Figma has become increasingly popular design tool for its collaborative features and its cloud-based approach. But for those not familiar, we'll give you a quick overview. Yeah, it's, it's a web-based design platform that basically allows designers to create and collaborate on user interfaces, prototypes, and other visual assets. It gained significant traction in recent years, especially among product designers and design teams. Right, and Adobe, on the other hand, is the behemoth in the design industry with a wide range of creative software offerings like Photoshop, Illustrator, and XD. This move showcases Adobe's commitment to expanding its design ecosystem. 
Figma's strengths in collaboration and cloud-based workflows align with Adobe's vision of empowering designers and creative professionals. Adobe has always been focused on delivering powerful desktop-based design software, but with this Figma acquisition, they're acknowledging the growth and demand for web-based collaboration tools. It's a strategic move to stay relevant in the evolving design landscape. Yeah, and for Figma, the acquisition brings significant resources and expertise from Adobe. It allows Figma to tap into Adobe's massive user base and leverage their existing infrastructure to accelerate their growth. So it's a win-win for both companies. So why are we talking so much about this acquisition? Well, Adam was an early investor in Figma. So the, the ultimate acquisition was around $20 billion. And here is Adam on his unique perspective on what it looked like behind the scenes at Figma that allowed them to achieve such milestone growth. I think you have to give a lot of credit to Dylan. And I don't know if you've, you've talked to him or read him or heard him talk, but um, he's a very, a very unique person uh, in the industry. Um, uh, so much natural humility about what he knows, really believes in, in getting the best out of people. Um, when I met Dylan, though, he was, a, I think, an 18-year-old intern at LinkedIn. I mean, the whole reason I ended up being a, a seed investor in the company is because he was an intern at LinkedIn. And then when he was starting a company, he come met me, it came and met me in downtown Palo Alto. I was the CEO of Wealthfront at the time just to get advice about the process. Um, and the original idea was very different. I mean, he was just, he's a great first principles thinker. Um, I think that that has given them a huge advantage. A lot of the early energy around Figma was not about the actual app itself, but it was just about this idea that, hey, graphic design, design in general was going to move to the web. That was so counterintuitive a decade ago. Everyone just assumed that design would be the last thing that would move. You need a big GPU, you needed a heavy machine. Designers were one of the last people who were still buying those heavy workstation class kind of machines. And so he had that basic insight, first principles, computer science just said, actually, I think that that is gonna be even better in the cloud because the cloud has two things. One is you can have clusters of these amazing machines. Like even if your laptop isn't powerful, you can have this amazingly powerful cluster in the cloud doing these amazing graphics transactions, et cetera. And, and second is the web will bring collaboration. Right. You can you can have more than one person working at a time. And they even started, I think, with photos. They didn't even start with 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 illustrations and design of what Figma does today. But I think when you have a founder like that, they naturally aggregate a team of people with similar characteristics and they just spent years working the problem. Right. First, finding a product that actually created real value, something they thought was differentiated, then figuring out, wait, it's a great product by itself, but how do we bring other people into it? This thing won't grow unless it creates value, the more people are in it. And then even figuring out how to make money on it. I mean, for years, I remember those meetings, the early days was like, I don't think we can raise the next round unless we actually show that we can make some revenue. Um, and they had to figure out how they were going to charge for it or even what should be free and, and, and what should be paid for. And this all took years, but I never saw them waver in terms of the intensity or focus. And it wasn't it was wonderful to watch. But that passion they had for the space, that founder product fit, the, the passion that, that Dylan and the others had, that that design deserved its own tooling, that design deserved its own space online, that there was so much more you could do to make designers, well, to bring out the best work of designers, you can still see it, you know, in, in the culture. You, you meet someone from Figma and, and that ethos just really still, even now that the company has hundreds and hundreds of people, you, you can still feel it there. So what was the big bet for Figma? 
Well, I think at the end, I mean, Figma at its heart, you know, most technology companies have these big fundamental bets. And sometimes they're common bets, right? And when they're common, it tends not to be a big outcome because if everyone has the same insight, well, then you're just competing with everyone. And so it's, you, you have a lot of uniqueness differentiation. I think Figma gets a lot of credit for from the very earliest days, just being passionate about design on the web, right? Sketch was a native tool. Adobe was very focused on native tools. And I think that some of the benefits of Figma is you just saw that not a lot of companies made that same bet with the same intensity and same persistence that Figma made. I also think that Figma had a Figma, Dylan naturally likes to attract other brilliant people around the table. He didn't try to do it all himself. Uh, the quality of the investors he brought on board, the quality of that of his original team, the, the quality of the angels he brought on board. And he listens and learns. He's a continual growth mindset. I think these things all differentiate folks. But um, listen, I, I think with every startup, you can point to different points that could have gone another way. And you just have to, it's somewhere in between kind of inspiration and execution and the quality of what they did. Um, but the truth is, you know, a lot of design tools would talk about building something so viral or collaborative that it would grow like a LinkedIn or a Facebook, etc. A lot of people talked about it, but Figma actually did it. They put a lot of thought into, wait, how does design work at our early customers? You know, companies like Dropbox, companies like Uber, how do they, how, do, how does using the software, how is it not just useful for designers? How is it useful for front-end developers? How is it useful for marketers? Who exactly is the cross-functional team that touches this and how can we build features that makes their life much, much better? I don't, I can't say that they're the only design centric company in this space. Obviously there's lots of founders, et cetera, but their consistency of kind of identifying problems that user have, coming up with innovative ways to approach that problem and then actually executing, get those features out. I mean, I feel like a, a typical Figma feature drop is here's 30 things to make your life better as a designer. Right, and, um, and that's amazing. Just that velocity is amazing. So it's hard to put your finger on any one of those things. Um, and you have to give credit to Dylan uh, for pulling it all together. Um, but you can see those differences in different companies and different founders, different products. You know, Some products are very inspired from a design standpoint, but they don't think enough about the business model, about distribution, about how the whole system is going to work. And, and Dylan and team, for better or for worse, are, are amazing systems thinkers. Right? They think about platforms, they think about capabilities, they don't just think about one-off features or, or, or products. And um, it really shows in the amazing progress that they've made and the scale of what they've done. Well, a huge thanks to Adam Nash today. If you want to check out Daffy, we'll include a link in the show notes. That's going to do it for us today. For Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka, and this is Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network. And if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.